Yeah, the big fundy. He's uh, he's a lot of fun. The big fundy. Yeah, he's the Tim Duncan of baseball. <laughs> We're pushing that. What what uh, what character? The the quiet superstar kind of thing. Yeah, and Paul was talking about. Um, you know, when we came back here, he thought we had, we had like a Zoom call, and um, before we played, uh, maybe it was the White Sox, I guess, was the first team. Um, we had a Zoom call, and you know, he said, "Hey, we're just gonna kind of go out there and have fun, you know, laugh, you know, this and that, you know, and uh, kind of play loose." And all Paul has done is he unbuttoned. He's, he's playing with one button unbuttoned, so that's his version of, <laughs> of a little flash. So. Yeah, he's the big fundamental, and I'm also I'm the little fundy. That's my nickname. Yeah, we got Carp. Carp's the medium fundy. Edmonds mini fundy, and I'm the little fundy. So yeah, we're gonna roll with it. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the best podcast in baseball, brought to you by Closets by Design of St. Louis. I'm St. Louis Post-Dispatch baseball writer Derek Gould, joined this week by St. Louis Post-Dispatch sports columnist Ben Fredrickson. And Ben, in the time it took me to make that intro, which included the quotes from Brad Miller, Paul Goldschmidt has reached base twice. <laughs> well, that means he's due for a home run now. Oh, is that how it works? I really hope he leans into this Tim Duncan comparison too. Like I'd like to see like a, uh, like if Paul, you and I have joked that Paul Goldschmidt has like a power for, or like a, like a small forwards frame before. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I got to think that if Paul Goldschmidt is playing in like the, the pickup league, he is the guy who's going bank bank shot, you know, like shooting like 85% from the field with always using the back. So I, like this drop be, step bank, yeah, drop total, step bank. Absolutely. His pivot game is so strong and it's frustrating. And he probably wears like, you know, socks that are a little bit too high and he probably has like some awkward sweatbands, maybe even some rec specs, but he's getting buckets. Um, this is a greatest, this is the, one of the greatest comparisons we've had this season. Yeah. And it, you know, we're, we're the writers, but we didn't come up with it. <laughs> the big funny. And then the, but mostly Tim Duncan. I mean, that's, that is, because there's a lot of similarities there. Very understated, um, not you know dismissive of of the media, but also kind of not all that interested in getting into the details of of his personal life. He's just there to get his job done, and he does it well. And he's even kind of disinterested in like the the little things around baseball that are non baseball, like him attempting to do the air high fives after a home run is like. It's like kind of like <laughs> put a cat in the It's like, do I have to do this? I'd rather just yeah, rather yeah. Just get ready to go go. You know, make a nice play at first base. But you know, it's really been cool. And I wrote, I tried to write this earlier in the season, but like, I feel like in these games where there's no crowd and it's so quiet and it's so all you really have to do is focus on baseball. That's really all you can talk about. Um, yeah, it, it's been more fun to watch Paul Goldschmidt than it was last season for me because I'm more, I think I'm more focused on the little intricacies of the game. Um, you know, the things that, that I probably have overlooked in the past and he does everything so well, whether it's saving a run at first base or, or picking up an extra base or, or, you know, all the things that go into hitting it's, he's just a complete player. We knew that last season, but we're really, really seeing it with the offense um, on a great start this year. Yeah, he had the diving catch to rob uh, extra bases in the 9-3 victory against the Royals. Oh, and he reached base four times. And he had um, two balls that he dug out of the dirt for shortstop Paul DeYoung that would have been heirs, um, fourth and fifth heirs of the game, if you're keeping track. But he dug them out for outs. And then, of course, I mean, he's reached base 29 of his last 51 plate appearances since coming back from quarantine. Uh, you know, Brad Miller joked about the whole button thing, right? That that in a Zoom call with his teammates, Paul Goldschmidt said, you know, let's let's have fun. And it's it's something that he's like said to us as well, somewhat, that you just have to show up and play and that's where they're at, and this is kind of the vibe that he wants to give off. And then Brad Miller said that yeah, he's 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 unbuttoned his top button. That's his flair. <laughs> which which I think I think the best part of that is the fact that like that maybe fans are getting a sense that the Paul Goldschmidt they see on zoom or they see on TV is not the one that his teammates know that he's pretty reserved, obviously 
when talking to the media. He's pretty reserved, certainly on Zoom. However, the guy that they know in the clubhouse or the guy they know on the Zoom call that they had is like dryly funny and also like more vocal than he lets on. I th- I think he he privately you know is a is a vocal leader but does not want that public. And I, I find that fascinating. Well, and it's probably a good window for fans to see. Yeah, well, sometimes those are your best uh your best leaders, right? I I realized in the short time Absolutely. I Paul Goldschmidt that and you you've you know you've got a much better, you know, back and forth with him than I do because you've been around him a lot more and you've also know people who covered him before. And, you know, that's how you get stuff like his book club. And, you know, you've kind of, you've kind of <laughs> alerted readers to these different angles of Paul Goldschmidt. But to me, he's one of those guys where if I want to find out about Paul, I go talk to somebody who's around him. Um, you know, one of his teammates, you'll learn more than you will talking to him about himself. Um, right. And that's just kind of, uh, there are a lot of, that's not a bad thing. <laughs> that's not a bad thing. No. It's funny that the, the top button reference, because, I think we've often called the Cardinals a buttoned up franchise that can maybe do good to, to let it, uh, let the collar loose a little bit. So maybe he's, he's starting that, uh, that trend, but I mean, to me, just, uh, within limits though, within right. limits, I mean, like it's just <laughs> yeah. one button. Yeah. He's not dying. He's not putting, uh, putting blonde streaks in his hair or anything. We'll get to yeah. Carlos Martinez later. Um, but I, I think this was the Paul Goldschmidt that Cardinals fans were hoping was still there. Right. Um, this yeah. was the guy that that went, even though he tra- helped transform the defense last year, and they became a historically improved defense in that they went from most errors in, in baseball to to the fewest. And even though at the end of the season last year his numbers were certainly respectable, um, and 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 for a lot of guys they were great, not for him. Um, and you wondered, okay, they made this deal. They gave him this extension. If this is the best that he plays offensively, then this is going to be a contract that at the end does not look as good as the Cardinals hoped. Um, this is not going to be a, a Matt Holiday 2.0 type of deal. If this continues well, he's showing right now that, you know, despite the craziness of this season, the long layoff that he still very much has the ability to lock in and be one of the best hitters in the game. I, I'm a big believer in lineup dynamics, and I don't think that that uh, every I don't think a hitter is on an island. Um, I think what happens around him can influence his production. I mean, obviously, like RBIs and stuff like that, and runs those are those are related to teammates too, right? But I also think like just production in general. And what Paul Goldschmidt did last year, it, there was a drag on it. There there was a drag on it because of the opportunities he so rarely got. You know, he, there were more than seventy players had more at-bats with runners in scoring position than Goldschmidt's 119. The Cardinals' lack of production from the leadoff spot really until the second half of the season. And then their their below-average, subpar performance from the cleanup spot. I mean, I think that really left him uh, uh, alone, uh, you know, in the middle of that lineup. He, he wasn't hitting with runners on base. He wasn't hitting with runners in scoring position all that often, not compared to other number three or number four hitters. I mean, there were, there were, there were leadoff hitters that had more at-bats. There were leadoff hitters in the National League who had more at-bats with runners in scoring position than Paul Goldschmidt had last year for the Cardinals. And I think, you know, that had to be a part of whether it was the the fact that he wasn't a 100 RBI guy. Sure, RBIs are, are that kind of stat. But also, like, his approach. You know, there, there, there were times where it seemed like he would expand the strike zone because that was the moment the Cardinals had. And he's aware. He's He knows what a lineup isn't doing as well as a lineup is doing. And, you know, a willingness to take a walk when maybe you have to reach outside the zone to try to get some kind of barrel on a double because that might be their one chance to score. I mean, he's going to do that. I mean, he he's that aware of a player. And I think, you know, what you're seeing here is certainly his willingness to take the walks. The Reds just pitched around him. They dared. Uh, Matt Carpenter and Tyler O'Neill to beat him. And, you know, in one game, those two went a combined 0 for 6 with runners in scoring position with four strikeouts. But then again, you know, against the Reds another time, and then certainly against the Royals, what you saw is the way to sort of protect Goldschmidt isn't just to have somebody hitting behind him. It's to have guys on base ahead of him and know where to put him. And, you know, it's that pre-protection kind of notion. And I think you're starting to see how the Cardinals are going to gel as a lineup to allow Goldschmidt to be 
Goldschmidt. That that's a big key to this season. Oh, totally. I think you mentioned the the numbers being reliant in some ways influenced by the guys who are or are not performing around him. And I think that's what makes what he's doing this season even that much more impressive. Um, mm. His line as of the time we're recording this is 368 average with a 507 on base and a 561 slug. That's an OPS of 1.068. There is not another Cardinals hitter in the in the group that has more than 30 at bats that has an OPS right now anything above I mean, I think it's Harrison Bader in second place yeah. with an eight nine five, and and that mm-hmm. that number just got a big boost because Harrison's all of a sudden kind of locked in after a slow start. Brad Miller is hitting great, but he's only had thirty at bats, so he's going to be used more. And we're seeing why the Cardinals are finding ways to get Brad Miller into the lineup because that's where their lineup is right now. They need production right. because they have Goldschmidt kind of on an island. If if you're a manager and you are facing the cardinals if you have an ability if, if you if goldschmidt is at the plate with first base open why wouldn't you put find a way to put him on there i mean you might tell you might not go intentional walk but you i would tell my pitcher hey throw throw junk and hope he swings and if he doesn't don't worry about walking him you know because yeah, we saw that with the reds make someone, yeah. else, make someone else punish you right um, and until the cardinals can prove they can do that consistently then there's no way i'm giving this guy a pitch to hit. So it's that critically important for the Cardinals to make it really, you know, dis- disadvantageous to walk him, um, to not give him something to hit. And, and you know, you'll even see what I don't want to see is him have to be in a spot where all of a sudden he has to chase just to try to do impact, to do damage, because that's not, yeah. that's going to take him away from his game. He's got a great eye and clearly he's got the ability to catch up to, to strikes, but he's not seeing all that many of them. So that's got to be the Cardinals. Mission number one is they've got to find ways to keep that. You don't want Goldschmidt to have a ton of walks this year. He's already got 16 and, and that's, and that's better than certainly better than strikeouts. But a walk is, is the, a lot of times if you're an opponent, the, the great, the great situation to keep him from hitting a double or a home run. Unless the Cardinals can find a cleanup hitter to turn those walks into crooked numbers. And that's what I'm going to ask you about after I tell people about our sponsor. Best Podcast in Baseball is brought to you by Closets by Design. Imagine your home totally organized. Closets by Design specializes in custom closets, pantries, laundry rooms, garages, and more. Now get 40% off plus an additional 15% off. Closets by Design, 314-733-9855. That's Closets by Design, the official sponsor of the Best Podcast in Baseball. You brought up Brad Miller, and he was hitting second against the Royals. We are recording this before game two of the Royals three-game visit to St. Louis. Miller had three hits on base four times. It sure seems, too, like since Paul DeYoung returned from the COVID-19 injured list, he's creeping his way back towards cleanup, which is the spot that the Cardinals had him earmarked for coming out of spring training and summer camp. So he gets back in the lineup, and he's batting down ballot. And then, you know, in against the, against the Royals, he's batting – uh, fifth, so he's moving up, you know, toward cleanup, and it sure seems that way. Matt Carpenter has been in the cleanup spot, started there seven times. Um, the games have been pretty much split though between DeYoung at the start of this season, then Carpenter and Tyler O'Neill at the cleanup spot. Do, who do you think emerges? I mean, I don't think you can dismiss Brad Miller as an option there either. You know, he had the the week the the power at Wrigley in his first visit there. But, you know, you look at what he's done, setting the table, that helps. Um, certainly the pitches he gets ahead of Goldschmidt and being left-handed makes a lot of sense at number two. Uh, does that – how do you see that cleanup spot shaken up? Or is it is it just predetermined that it's going to be DeYoung here? Well, I think it – I think my first my first hope would that it, if I'm the Cardinals is that it would be DeYoung. And I think we're kind of seeing a march toward that now. Some of this is going to depend on production. If you put them there and the results aren't there, then you got to revisit it. But I think, you know, it's the Cardinals are going to say, okay, we feel like DeYoung can get back to, you know, to being the hitter that he showed to be at spring and, and early on this season before the shutdown. So I think you'd I think you'd give him that opportunity and then revisit it if it uh, if it doesn't work. And and I Miller has been totally impressive. Uh, I wasn't sure. When they made that addition, it didn't really make a ton of sense to me. But clearly, we're seeing right now that he's more than a one-trick pony. 
um, and that he's still got he's still got. I mean, if it wasn't for him right now, they'd be they'd they'd have what ten you know six fewer runs and ten fewer RBIs. He's been he's yeah. really clicked. Um, so I think you've got to keep finding ways to get him into the lineup. I'm not sure you want to to pin your your cleanup hitter tag to a guy who is kind of more of a not an everyday player. Although Brad Miller is probably changing some minds about his ability to be an everyday player. Um, I think DeYoung would be the best case scenario, um, but you're going to need to see him prove that that he can he can shake off this this rust from the from the down period. I, I think he'll get there. But yeah, in front of him, um, you might have to revisit that. You know, I think you also you know you look at leadoff too. Um, you know, Colton is is not probably off to the, the to the start that that he would love to have, but he does seem to be moving in the right direction here. Um, his his on base percentage is is up and his average is is creeping up. Um, but I think, you know, you also at some point maybe are open to that discussion. Does does Dexter Fowler get a look there? I mean, that was way back when when this the whole thing started. That was why he was here. I think he's proving that that he's having a better start than a lot of people thought could be possible. So um, there's some there's some changes Jilty could make here um, that that would maybe bring more bring more life to the offense. But the, I think the one that they're going to try first and I understand why would be getting to young back to that cleanup spot to try to give. Goldschmidt a little more uh, a little more help by 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 lineup adjustment by lineup position than, than anything else right yeah I mean that that's the fear factor right somebody who at least you know gives the other team pause that putting someone on base might become a run and you know that's that's the thing and you know DeYoung he's had a really interesting approach since he returned makes a lot of sense right he goes the opposite way three times to fly out to right field one deep. I mean, he he was robbed by a nice catch of a double, and then he he was talking talking to us about how that was a way to get his timing going in game action, and that he thought by going the other way, by going the other way, by going the other way with authority, then when he needed to, the 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 pull power would be there, that it would come around, and that it would come over time, and then, you know, game two, then he pulls a double, you know, right right down the left field line just to. Uh, you know, to score two runs and kind of break that game open. I, you know, I mean, I think what you saw in spring, he, he almost hit 500 in spring training and yeah, it's spring training, but there were, there wasn't another guy on the Cardinals team that seemed to be as comfortable um, with his timing, as comfortable with his approach as DeYoung. Uh, the phrase that Mike Schilt uses a lot is the anchor. You know, it just really seemed like DeYoung had settled on a, place to be at the plate that he could always return to it was simple he had trust in whatever his stance was slightly a little bit more open hand position just slight a tick different but a place that he could return to that he didn't have to step into the box and search for his his muscle memory put him there and then he was able to use it um, similar to like like what you you saw what 15 years ago maybe 12 years ago with Yadier Molina, who was the man of a thousand stances and was always kind of searching for what his batting stance would be. And now just kind of gets in the box and com- seems to comfortably fly in the spot where he is. It, it, it doesn't seem like DeYoung is searching for, you know, how he should be or where the swing should be or what pitch he should look for. He's just able to kind of get a place where, you know, he's just, he's comfortable. Like, like, you know, like, you know, where to sit and, in your car, right? You know how you've been in your car long enough. You know where to sit in your car, where you're comfortable with all the angles on the mirrors with your, you know, you know how to sit where you feel like, okay, I can return to this spot and be comfortable. I can parallel park from this spot. I can cruise control from this spot. You know what I mean? Like he's just, he seems to have found that, that spot in the, in the batter's box where he knows he can return. Yeah, I think, uh, and I think it's a testament to kind of where Paul's at mentally. Um, that 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 you know you're kind of comparing his uh, his just kind of relaxed approach, not not in terms of results, but just in terms of knowing that it'll be there when he needs it. And he doesn't have to overthink it. To a guy like Yadier Molina, who, I mean, at some point, you know, there's going to be there's going to be an interesting discussion about how all these people who who use Yadier Molina's offense to decide that he isn't going to be a first ballot hall of famer. We're going to have to go back yeah. and look at actually what he's done on the other side of 30 with his bat. 
I mean, a guy yeah. who, whose who's, who's bat was his bugaboo for the, for the early part of his career where his defense was off the charts is now one of the most um, – I'd say that I mean, the word gets shrugged off sometimes, but he's one of the most clutch catchers offensively in the game. I mean, it's gotten to the point now where he comes up with runners in scoring position, and it's just how which 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 area of the outfield is he going to hit the single to on a flare to drive in a run or two? I mean, he's just yeah. uh, it's it's just professional hitting, and and we we've seen it since he's been back. Um, he didn't skip a beat, and he he's. He's got it figured out, man. He knows what he can do. Um, he's not all of a sudden, you know, he's not going after the home runs. He's just being a smart hitter. And there's a lot of room in this era of baseball for smart hitters. They're going to put up good numbers because the game is begging them to be to 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 take advantage of situations the defense provides. And and he's willing to do that. So, um, you know, the offense to this point has been kind of what we thought, right? It's been it's been underwhelming it's been hit or miss and and it's going to continue to be the thing that gets talked about the most um but the cardinals can say here at 10 and 8 that they've got some guys who are back who are important cogs in that offense in molina and the young that they've got the most important hitter in that offense playing like an, an all-star in paul goldschmidt uh-huh. And, you know, and, and some of the guys, you know, you probably say 50% of the guys who were the biggest concerns at the end of this season in Dexter Fowler and, and, and Matt Carpenter, at least one of those guys in Dexter Fowler is off to a pretty good start. So um, now the thing will be building it back and, and, you know, putting it, putting it uh, all in place and, and trying to go on a little run here, but really the Cardinals have to be pretty pleased with where they are right now. I mean, you're 10 and eight, you're second in the central after losing two weeks of your season, um, I, there are a lot of games the Cardinals have to make up, but the but the teams that they're going to be competing with for a postseason spot have a lot of losses they can't get back, and, and and the Cardinals are are feeling pretty good about how they're playing in this gauntlet. That's a, that's a really good way to put it. It has the the performance of some of these guys, whether it's Jack Flaherty who's building arm strength on the go or the bullpen with some, you know, some obviously innings where they've created, but overall, I mean, the bullpen's been pretty strong. Um, has that elevated the expectations of this team? Is that possible? Is it possible that they now, that you expect more from them um, than a week ago or maybe even opening day? Man, it's hard. And I don't, you know, it's, it's such a good question and, and I don't have a good answer. I tried to kind of ask Schilt about that last week about like before we can really determine a team's, what a team's expectations is, it kind of helps to know what the team expects for itself. Not that you have to agree with it, but you know, if they're aiming to make a postseason and you're, and, and, and they're going to behave accordingly and your goal is to, and you're saying they're, they'd have to win the world series and you might want to, you might want to, you know, account for some of the differences and what you expect to see. And, you know, the Cardinals' goal always is to – they want to win the division, they want to get into the postseason, and they feel like teams that get in there can make a run and potentially win the World Series. And they conduct their business accordingly. Fans are often frustrated because they don't make that win-now, World Series or bust move. And and the Cardinals, you know, feel like they – if they build a team that can win the division, then they feel like that team can be capable of winning the World Series. And they also want to have that team every year, um, not, you know, once every five years or once every three years. So that's the, the push-pull, right? So asking Schilt, hey, two weeks off, you guys were probably, what, one or two, three positive tests away from maybe losing everything and being shut down for good. Um, I would have loved to know what that number was if there was one. Um, but also, so coming back from that, and he's talked a lot about, he hasn't said he's managing with one arm tied behind his back, but he's given enough explanations of moves made and not made that explain how he's really kind of using a Venn diagram between what's important today, what's important tomorrow, what's important next week and and yeah. what's important next year. Um, you know, he, this is not, Hey, let's go out and grab the jugular managing. It can't be not with the position. I think, that I think Mike Maddox is the one that has the arm tied behind his back. I think, <laughs> I think that's, he can only use one. I think pitching coach Mike Maddox is the one. Yeah. He, he, he can't <laughs> use the claw at all. He doesn't use the claw at all anymore. It's, it's been retired. He can't that's touch. Exactly, that's that's Tyler Webb is struggling. He, he, that's like his, uh, his, that, that's what gets him fired up is the claw. So it's not there. 
Um, but no, that's I, his anchor. To borrow the yeah, phrase, that's his anchor. His anchor is exactly. the claw. So as I asked, like, what have your all's expectations for yourself changed? Has it gone from let's go win the division to let's let's play, <laughs> like let's just have games? Um, and and right. he, I appreciated his response. He he said our goal hasn't changed. The way we have to get there has to change. And and we've seen you know there's going to be at times when tomorrow uh, you know matters more than than today. And that's probably that's always true when you're managing a 162 game season. But it rarely is it is it so true so often. Sometimes in such big ways as it is right now, especially in such a short season. So I think they're convincing themselves with their play that their goals are still within reach. I think there are a lot right. of guys in the clubhouse that can feel like, man, we haven't played all that well. And they look around, and there they are, second in the in the division. Um, their one grand slam that still hasn't landed by a, away from sweeping the team that everybody, including myself, thought could win the division. Um, they've they've held up nicely against the Cubs in that in that uh, that really trying stretch of games to start the season. And they've got a lot of teams that are really bad left on their schedule. I mean. Playing the Tigers and the Royals, uh, those teams aren't looking at their schedule going, man, we got to make up a lot of games if we can be in this thing. No, they're out. So, you know, taking mm-hmm. advantage of, of teams that are not good, um, that's that's something that pretty much will dictate where the Cardinals end up. So I think the more they win, the more they're realizing that what they have to play for is still right there in front of them. Um, and, and I think that I think we're seeing maybe a little more confidence in talking about that goal as they as they go on here. And I think they probably, if they had any doubts, they probably answered some of them with how they played right out of the gate because it shouldn't get harder than it is now. Now, the innings will add up and certain guys will probably spin out, but they've got Yachty and Paul DeYoung back. Um, they have depth in pitching. Um, that's that's mm-hmm. been their biggest strength and they're able to use it. And they're getting better performances from you know Jack Flaherty as he, as he gets back. I mean, they, they and they've got some guys who can kind of carry the rotation to help spare the bullpen and Wainwright and even Kim. So you know they're they're in a better spot I think than I thought they would be, and I think they're seeing that too. I'm of a mind that the the Cardinals brand is to contend every year and play for the division championship and be or the division title and be in position to play for a championship. That 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 that's their brand and that there's no reason not to hold them to that same thing because there, this is obviously the irregular season, right? We, we get that, but you know, you, you still have, you, you listed a lot of names. We've talked about a lot of names. You still have a MVP caliber first baseman, uh, you know, Matt Carpenter, who's been an all-star Colton Wong, who could have been an all-star this year, probably was on track to be an all-star this year. Just, you have the makings and a tremendous pitching staff with, you know, Rising ace Jack Flaherty, um, one of the most standout, sturdy, reliable pitchers from the KBO, and Kim and Wainwright. I mean, just all the names you you build up. I mean, you look on paper, and it's like, okay, well, this is a team that should contend for a division title. And all that's changed is that they had to get through eight games in five days with a third of their roster new. They had to unleash the rookies, and they had to have more than 10 major league debuts. And now the fallout from that, of course, will be all the roster moves that they are going to have to make in the next 48, 72 hours as we talk. But, you know, they got through that. They played 500 ball on the road, which, as Schilt said, in a normal season you're happy with, especially going to Chicago, right? So that then shifts the focus to feasting on the teams. They took three of four from Cincinnati, who – by every indication, should have been a a peer of theirs, right? They win that series. Now they have the Royals and then a doubleheader against the Pirates. Those are not teams that are peers. So the Cardinals shouldn't just win those series. They should overwhelm those series. And if they do, then they're taking advantage of sort of the teams on the lower third of the standings. And that's a really good way to build up a record and a really good way to assert that, you know, they still can live up to the same expectations. And if they can't, then it's because of poor performance, not because of a poor situation or bad luck or whatever like that. And then the performance should change, you know, either by trade or by replacement. I mean, they, they, they've got a chance to look at about a lot of their youth. So I, I'm, I don't think that you – I don't think you add a degree of difficulty to – 
to their schedule. I think you say, okay, well, what's the phrase that Schilt uses? Winners find solutions. Okay, then hold them to it. Cardinals find solutions. They find a way to win with what they have, and that's what's expected. Yeah, it's hard to factor in the um, the degree of difficulty caused by a two-week stop um, without sure. guys even being able to get on the field. Um, and maybe you know, it's going to work out one of two ways. Either there will be things that happen that make the Cardinals go see this was this was a dramatic um, this was a dramatic uh, wrench thrown in the system, and then there's going to be if it works out well, then people will say, well, it wasn't that big of a deal. I think it's still kind of too early to say what or what it was or wasn't. If if all of a sudden you know something happens and hopefully it doesn't, I don't like to sit here and predict injuries. That's that's never fun. But if something happens where someone is injured or someone's someone's return right. stopped or someone, you know, gets shut down because of, you know, kinks that were put into the the system when this shutdown happened, then we could be having, you know, a different conversation. Um, and we don't, we still don't quite know how, how the machine holds up over the course of this. I mean, it's basically full throttle now through the end of the year, right. um, the bottom could drop out if it does, is it a, byproduct of the team falling apart or is it a byproduct of the team running out of steam after trying to rev its engine after you know two weeks off i, I don't know and, and it, it probably depends on how exactly it happens um and, and then there's this other factor of and it's a fair conversation to have um you know are the cardinals impressive because they stormed out of this this quarantine period and and got back in in the thick of contention or does that give them false credit because they were not able to to stop having to go into that shutdown you know do they get knocked for not doing as well as some other teams against managing the virus um or do they they do they get extra credit for how they responded to to their dance with the pandemic um that's a hard answer you know that's a hard thing you don't know you know again so much of this hinges on probably luck, good luck or bad luck. And then some of it can also depend on how teams were, were, were taking themselves, taking their precautions and protocols seriously. And, and we've seen some examples. We've seen some false examples of what the Cardinals did or didn't do. Um, but we've also seen some examples of them probably not being as, as cautious as they could have been. The latest being, you know, Yadier Molina kind of reframing the discussion about, you know, what this gathering he had on Instagram was about. And once you learn more about that and who was involved, you probably go, okay, that was probably one of the least um, threat, the least threats that we've heard, littlest threats that we've heard about happening. So that's a hard conversation is, is do the Cardinals get extra credit? Do they get knocked for that? Or do we, do we just analyze the season as if it didn't happen? Um, and, right. and I think part of, I guess it's kind of a cop out, but part of that answer will depend on how it ends. Right. Um, which that's not how it should be. We should probably be able to decide now. And, and maybe that's the only fair way to do it. But I, I, if that's the case, then I have a hard time not factoring in a two-week shutdown into how I analyze the season. I mean, I thought the Cardinals would be a wild card team entering the year. I picked the Reds to win the division. Clearly, that looks silly, at least where things stand right now. But it would be hard for me to go, I thought this team should be a postseason team, you know, all things, all things you know, considered and then i'm not going to revisit that that prediction or that that expectation after they they had two weeks in a 60 game season off mandated where they couldn't play um i have to factor right. in that decision and it's a weird thing because we're not used to the cardinals playing with like a house money right we're not used to the cardinals not playing under this pressure of you have to pl- play in the postseason or your season's a failure and even that's not a guaranteed to to have it not be a failure um but i think if we've of all the teams that I've covered, this is probably the one that, that has has to have as little of that pressure as possible because of the circumstances. It's the whole play fun, have loose, no expectations kind of thing. I, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I still think that they're the Cardinals, you know, and probably should be held to the standards of the Cardinals. It's just, it just is going to take a different route or there's different. It's like Harrison Bergeron, right? Like there's just a different, he, he moves too fast. So he puts cement foot, you know, um, shoes on him or he, uh, he's too handsome. So you put a paper bag on, it's just different complications, but still they're the Cardinals and they should still expect to, to win. 
Well, I mean, we, I think Mo has said where he sits on this, and he said right now, what was his? I don't want to, I don't want to misquote him, but he basically said coming out of that that their number one priority was not to compete; it was to weather the storm. So I guess right, his, his like, thing was it wasn't going to be just based on wins; it was also right. going to be based on getting by and 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 they have they. I mean, right. well, they, that's, that's, that's what was going to be they my navigated thing. through the choppiest waters. When, when does that? When does that switch flip back on? And it can't. I think now, now they can feast on the Royals and Pirates. Right. I mean, that you you have a you do have a hard time feeling bad for the Cardinals when they're playing the Royals and the Tigers. That's what I mean by the Cardinals have more games to make up, but they they can't. You know, the Royals and the Tigers have a ton of losses they can't erase. So you're right. right. If, if, great if, point. It, it doesn't get to flip back on only if they make the postseason. <laughs> That's you know they have, yeah they have proven, yeah, they don't get to choose that proven, yeah right. They've proven that that they can that they can do this. So it's within their reach after the worst of the the storm has passed. And and I think that okay, now it's fair to say, okay, they should get there. Now, if they don't, then to me I'm gonna have a harder time than I would have if they played a normal season, saying, What the heck, guys? But you know, and we've kind of joked, I've joked about, you know, like it can't be this thing and and and, and Schilt is you know, playing ball in these Zoom interviews and he's trying to explain things as best he can. And he's he's frustrated at times too because of just everything. <laughs> and I get it. But it can't be one of those things where the game is okay to debate and, and praise the team for its competitiveness if they go out and win. And then if they lose, it's, well, COVID happened. It's like, which one? Right. Exactly. Either, the games are, either the games are fortunate because, you know, they're out there playing and, you know, this is better than not playing. And and then the losses are shrug them off because because COVID. Or, but the wins can't be a sign of this this grinding competitive, you know, team that overcomes adversity. And the losses are simply dismissed because the team showed up that day. That that can't be. You got to pick one or the other. Right, I agree with that. The Cardinals are approaching a, a an interesting stretch, um, not just because of the games they have or what they've now put in the rearview mirror as far as, um, you know, coming out of quarantine and still yet with so many doubleheaders left in September, it's the roster repercussions of what they had to do to, to get through the eight games in five days in Chicago. You know, a lot, they moved a lot of the COVID-19 guys. They had, um, you know, the a third of their roster again, they moved to the COVID-19 IL. And this is going to get kind of wonky, so um, I will do my best to articulate it. Those players, if the Cardinals choose, don't have to count against the forty-man roster. They can, they you can have a larger than forty-man roster because players on the COVID nineteen IL do not count against it if the team chooses. However, to move that player back onto the forty-man roster, a transaction has to take place, and this is where the the operations manual and the agreement that was negotiated between the owners and players might have failed teams in this short season is you risk losing talent in ways that haven't been present before. You know, the Cardinals have to move guys off the 40 man to bring back some of these guys. And that means, um, you know, designating for assignment, trading, passing through waivers like they did with Alvaro Seas. So he was on the 40 man, the Cardinals needed that spot on the 40-man, so what they had to do was designate him for assignment, move him through waivers, risk losing him. Now, mind you, he was in the Springfield camp, so he had gone through all the protocols. He was cleared. If a team claimed him, he could have showed up the next day and been you know, okay to continue on because he had been in the baseball bubble, so to speak. And we've seen how teams, whether they have an outbreak or an injury or whatever, We've seen how hungry some teams are. I like the Marlins um, for pitching talent. Now, Sejas passed through. He was assigned to the double A roster. Now, that's not the summer camp, but that still means that he's under control of the organization. It gets trickier, Ben, when we also then talk about the 60 player pool. So, every team is dealing with three different rosters now. There's the 28-man active roster. That's the major league roster. Those are the players who are eligible to appear in games. There's the 40-man roster, which is the traditional 40-man roster. Um, Those are the 40 players or less who are eligible for promotion to the active roster. Those are the players who have to be optioned out 
for example. Um, those are the players that are also protected um, because they have reached a certain amount of years in baseball in minor leagues where they have to be protected or they're available to other teams. Then there is the 60-player pool, and this is the group from which teams can draw to replenish. And the Cardinals did a lot of drawing from that well, um, whether it was Jesus Cruz, Ryan Messenger. I mean, you think Johan Oviedo. All these guys were off the 40-man roster um, or on the uh, on the back end of the 40-man roster who came up and contributed in Chicago. To move a player off the 60-player pool, Ben, it, there are three options. One, that player's traded. Two, that player's released. Or three, that player goes on to the COVID-19 IL. That is um, an oversight on baseball because now what you have is you have young guys like Nolan Gorman, Matthew Libertar, Mason Wynn, these guys, uh, Jordan Walker, who are some of them were just in high school a few months ago, who are in the 60 play, player pool. And to leave that Springfield camp, uh, Cardinals have to make a move that risks losing players that they just drafted, which obviously they're not going to do. And so the Cardinals have to maneuver around that, possibly lose some of their depth that they just leaned on, unless they can slip them through waivers and then consider a way to add them later. It's a really fascinating kind of, I guess, um, knot that they've, roster knot that they've put themselves in because of the circumstance, or they've been put in because of the circumstance. And, oh, by the way, this all happens as the trade deadline approaches. So can you figure that out for them? Hopefully it's reminding the uh, the major league owners and front offices that it's beneficial to have a uh, functioning minor league system. Um, <laughs> no kidding. Great point. Considering there's been a lot of, a lot of signs that maybe they're not valuing that as much as they should. Um, but you know, they're in a, they're in, they, they're in a tough spot and a lot of it is virus related. You didn't want to have camps all over the country, but Maybe they should have created right. some way to create some sort of a prospect camp where they could put a certain number of players there. I don't, I don't know, but you know they were really torn. They wanted to have Nolan Gorman and those guys playing baseball um, in some fashion, other than sitting at home doing God knows what or trying to train on their own. Yet, they, but they also don't want to put themselves in the spot where those guys have to go through waivers because they won't go through waivers; <laughs> they'll, they'll get taken. Um, so, and you better believe there are teams scouting those transactions to try to pick up players that that teams are going to try to to sneak through. Um, you know, this is the. I think this all boils back boils down to there really wasn't an expectation uh, of teams having to touch the depth of their sixty man pool. Um, right. It wasn't supposed to be how this worked. It, it was, was supposed to be definitely rose colored glasses. For sure. It was one guy gets sent up, one guy gets sick, quarantine, one guy backfills. And and the and the these hot prospects that have no business being in the majors um were just supposed to be able to hang at the alternate site and 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 have as competitive as a as a you know pseudo season as they could, but never be in real threat to either have to be promoted or have to, you know, be removed from the group. So they weren't. Um, and, and, and we've, you know, we've had that. I remember having this conversation in the press box with Rick at one point, and he kind of, you know, made the thing, made the line that, you know, and it was, of course, you know, it was good, good prediction on his part where he said that it's not all that unlikely that a team could have to use every player in its 60 man pool, the way that some of these outbreaks have happened, including the Cardinals. Um, and, and, and now we're seeing the stress that that can cause. Um, they don't want to. They don't want these guys to debut. Um, they have no. A lot of them have no business being in the majors. They also, you know, certainly can't put them through. So you're left kind of making these these surface level moves that are just kind of filler type moves. Um, yeah. And we'll probably see more of that at the trade deadline. I, I, I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I don't think we're going to see a very interesting trade deadline in terms of big moves or or splash additions. I think it's going to be a lot of recap out of calibrating depth and, and trying to, you know, trying to, trying to kind of increase some, 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 you know, lesser known play, increase some lesser known players where there might be points of stress that are obvious to the front office, but not as obvious to the fan who's just watching the major league product on the field. Uh, I think it'll be a lot of that, maybe some long-term stuff thrown in some future roster building type moves. But uh, I think a lot of teams are going to be reluctant to start sending guys everywhere 
I think mm-hmm. some players who could be traded might try to opt out, uh, depending on which team they're getting sent to. And that's probably going to be part of the discussion. But you're right that there was a an oversight in how this was constructed. And I think it was an oversight made by, A, it was probably rushed, and B, I think the, the, Optimism. the, the decision makers were too, too probably out of touch with what a COVID impacted season could really look like. Yeah. They probably didn't account for an outbreak because they thought their protocols would not allow for it. I mean, I don't want to put words in their mouth, but you know, clearly there was optimism about their protocols being good enough to avoid what happened to the Marlins, what happened to the Cardinals. Um, You know, and, and also like you can, they, they still need to reinforce some of those protocols. I mean, we, I watched other games. I got a chance while the Cardinals were not playing games to watch a lot of games. And we watched teams come through here in Bush, Bush stadium here in the last, during this homestand where it's like, wow, they're not really doing the protocols. Are they, they're not really paying attention. And you know, it's, it's, if you keep the virus at the door, then that works out for you. But if the virus slips in under, under the door, then these protocols aren't going to allow, uh, you know, that's going to allow it to spread if you don't follow it. So, you know, it's one of those questions of are you good or are you lucky? And I think baseball just assumed that the protocols would be good and that it would create a Ziploc around them that that, that didn't happen. You you were describing the trade deadline there. You kind of, I mean, that that, you think that's the case for the entirety of of baseball. What do you see for the Cardinals then? Do you, what do you, what would you suggest they do? Do you, do you think they need to do anything? I think what they'll probably do is make a lot of moves that I rely on you to explain why they matter. Um, uh. <laughs> make some of those moves that are like, huh? And then, then I'll have to get an explanation as to, you know, what, you know, something that you talked about where it's like things that could keep them from having to either promote or, or try to remove prospects from the camp, you know, giving a little more, a little more depth ahead. In some ways I, I, I kind of selfishly think this, something the Cardinals could actually use because they just, they're prospect hoarders, man. And and this is, this is actually kind of forcing them to go through their basement and like part with some things. And, and sometimes that can create good things that can happen. I mean, you can, you can find someone who, who maybe you didn't give enough of a shot to, or you can, you know, worse comes to worse, a guy who's totally blocked can get to go to a team where he plays and, 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 you know, have a better career. So I think this is probably making the Cardinals nervous because they like to just kind of have everything stored and, and labeled the way they, the way they choose in their prospect system. And this is kind of making them shake up and prioritize that system more than they would like a little bit. Um, so I'm eager to see how we see that play out, but no, I, I really think, first of all, I think they're going to be reluctant to make significant moves. I think they're going to be reluctant to make moves in general I think a team that is this shocked by how quickly the virus can jump up and grab them will be hesitant to send players elsewhere, but more importantly, bring different players in. Um, Mm. There's just an unknown factor there. And I think probably the day-to-day of trying to keep the virus at bay has probably been dominating the, the minds of the folks who are in the power to make the most influential moves. Now I can see some, some, you know, some long-term type things or you know if they've if they've written off a player like I don't know have they have they gotten enough feel for for Tyler O'Neill now that they're ready to say okay this guy's not going to be the guy I don't think so um they were pretty bullish on him so that's not a move I, I see them making Justin Williams we've not seen him get an opportunity despite the outfield slow start could he be a guy that they try to sh- ship out for for some sort of backfill situation of a of a similar prospect with maybe more runway um, I can see something like that and then the biggest thing I think that will be discussed is what we found out last night at the ballpark is what's up with Carlos mm-hmm. they are to me that was as much frustration as we've heard the Cardinals vent on Carlos in a while um, this basically saying okay here's the deal he could return sooner and help this team if he was a reliever, but he's made it very clear he wants to be a starter. So we're going to try to, you know, we're going to try to work with him on that, but it's going to take him longer to get back. Um, for a team that includes a lot of guys kind of trying to get up and go with, with without their mm-hmm. leg fully underneath him, I thought that was a pretty, that was a pretty 
it wasn't blistering, but it was a shot across the bow a little bit as as to Carlos and what his ideal plan is and how it conflicts with what the team perhaps could benefit from the most. So anytime there's that kind of tension around a trade deadline, it makes you wonder what could happen. Yeah, the the notion that uh, Carlos Martinez wants to return as a starter, even if it takes longer for him to get back, and there is no guarantee that there'll be starts for him when he does, right. and there might just be three weeks of a season when he does. Um, you know, the, the, the quick notion that they are comfortable with him pitching elsewhere and not helping a team that has been um, thinned and had it and is about to maybe have some of those depth pitchers lost through waivers. I mean, that, that, that was telling, I mean, that they are comfortable with him not throwing pitches that matter and working towards a role that may not matter. That's interesting. I mean, I, I think, I don't know. I mean, it, it was the first time where it was like, wow, if, Carlos Martinez doesn't contribute another inning to this season, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, they didn't sound all that comfortable with it. <laughs> oh. But again, they're the ones who are who are making the decision. So it it, it raises the question as who's who's deciding what around here? Um, well, and Schilt did say that that is an ongoing conversation. So we have seen... There might have been a little bit of poker going on. Yeah, we have seen on Monday, Carlos wants to be a starter. And on Wednesday, he really likes closing. And really yeah. dig that, so. right I mean and this could very well be this by the time this podcast is is making the rounds Carlos has come out and expressed his desire to help the team in any way shape or form um, yeah. but, you know there's some wiggle room there and there might be a little bit of uh, of, uh, of of checkers chestnut checkers going on um, but again the fact that it's out in so such a such a clear statement is was was interesting to me um, you know the, the the Cardinals have the history of at times saying, okay, you know, this isn't working with, with, with players who have, who have, you know, they've been rounds with in different, different capacities. And Carlos is probably trending toward that place. Now they love yeah. his arm. They love his talent. I think they like him. They like, they love his personality, but you know, there is probably at some point a, a place where they go, okay. Um, you know, what's the, what's the value is their interest, um, you know, and, and I wouldn't be shocked. I, I started saying this last season, like Carlos Martinez used to be very high on the list of untouchables when you talk players the Cardinals would trade. I don't think he's been on that list for, for some time now. No, they tried to trade him at a trade deadline not too long ago, and it was like just they, they were ready to move on. They thought he had a friendly contract, and they explored it during, uh, you know, during the offseason as well, and they just didn't generate much interest in him. And so part of it was also giving him an opportunity to rebuild his value. I mean, that, that could be a factor here, right? Like if he's wants to be a starter and gets to build, you know, as a starter where there aren't going to be results, but there's going to be a notion that he's a starter again, maybe that increases his value for an off season trade that, that is part of the calculus. And so too, Ben is the question that I kind of want that I wanted to conclude with and sort of, go back to where we began. And this is a question that I asked Mosaic, and I'd be really interested in hearing your thoughts on it. As the trade deadline approaches, given what this team has gone through, is it right to make a deal? Um, yes, it has to be. Because if it's not, then they shouldn't be playing. Um, you know, this kind of gets back, I, I have a pretty... I'm drawing a firm line on this kind of stuff. And it goes back okay. to when the Cubs were kind of thrown out the notion of could, should they even go to St. Louis to play if the schedule said they should, if you're not going to have, um, if you're not going to have the, the, the schedule of baseball, whether it's where you play or where you make trades um, be used in, in full, then it's not a, then it's a farce of a season. And, I know some people are screaming, it's a far show season anyway. And you can make you can make that argument. But if you have teams deciding all of a sudden that they're not going to show up and play where the schedule says they are, and that's not treated as like a forfeit, then what are we doing here? So I think, uh, you know, I think there will be teams that are reluctant to make trades because of they're not sure about the unknown of what, you know, the player who's coming in could be bringing into the environment in terms of virus relations um, virus related stuff, or they're, they're reluctant to trade a guy away because they have a relationship with that player and they don't want to put his family through that. Um, right. And I get that. 
And, and if that's their reasoning, then I totally understand it. But is it terms of, is it wrong to do that? No, I, the players who are playing have opted in. You know, they, they have said, I understand the risks. I understand it's a weird season. I'm here. I want to get paid. I want to play. And part of playing is the risk that you could get traded if your contract allows it. So to me, I don't think it is morally wrong. Um, I think it can be handled in a way that is best for the player and their family. Again, the players can opt out at any time. So, you know, they the, a trade would have to be made with the understanding that you might get a guy who, if you're only getting him for that season and he doesn't want to go there, then he might not come. Right. So that has to be understood in the teams making the trades. But if if we're going to get into a discussion of what aspects of the season are right or wrong, then I don't know that it can be that that's a territory where you go down that road and all of a sudden you're not playing at all. Let me take it one step further, though, and revisit the Zoom call, right? They get on the Zoom call and Paul Goldschmidt talks about having fun, playing loose. They talk about their nicknames. You know, they start trying to call them the Big Fundy. Brad Miller jokes that they're trying to get that to catch on. You know, the Tim Duncan of baseball. You know, there definitely was, at every turn, a lot of celebration about what the young guys did, what some of the young pitchers did, what Oviedo did in his start, what, you know, Elledge came up and did, you know, all these debuts that they had. And I guess that is part of this is, given what the team has gone through and how it galvanized them, do you not go, well, let's see what this group that has been, um, let's say, fortified by this event, this shared quarantine, this shared uncertainty, this this shared event that no other baseball team has gone through, the shared questioning of whether their season would continue, has that created some kind of, has that balkanized this team and its chemistry in a way that you respect by not making a move, by just seeing where that goes, by seeing where this team that has been through that has a chance to go? Um, yeah, I mean, I think, I think ideally, yeah, I think ideally. Have they earned that by getting through this? No, no, I <laughs> like, yeah, I get, I get the question. Um, I don't know that I don't know that they've done it. They've done anything enough to have earned anything. Um, this is I think this is a this is a trade deadline where if, if I'm in the front office, I'm making it in terms of what helps my what helps the team the best long term. Um, but doesn't my, that but may that. Oh, I see. Long term, as opposed to like yeah. what help, like because what helps the team now might just be like this group that has this shared you know experience that no other team has that that can yeah, be no, pretty not, valuable yeah i'm not i mean i i think it's a valid argument um I, I don't think that if i'm i can only answer as if what would i do right and what i would do is i would not treat this trade deadline as as something that makes this season that maximizes this season if there's a move that helps the season in future for sure if there's a move that helps the season in terms of health and like you're not, you know, risking losing or having to play a guy like Nolan Gorman, if he's not ready, then I make that, but I'm not, I'm not making any moves at this trade deadline that, that put the emphasis on what I can get out of this season. I mean, the Cardinals haven't made moves that emphasize the season in front of them in normal seasons in the past. What? Right. Right. Yeah. It's been a long time doing this. I can't see them doing that now where there's, there's not even a guarantee that, that there will be a postseason still. I mean, if the bottom drops out of this thing, then it could go away. We don't know when the postseason is, what format it's going to be in. Is it going to be in a bubble? Is it not? Um, there's so much uncertainty now that I don't really think any team is going to go, okay, we got to go add this player for right now. Um, maybe there might be one or two, but I think this is mostly going to be a, a uh, you know, a, a roster management type trade deadline for, for all the teams. Doesn't the story change though if the if the Cardinals go with the team that went through the quarantine that went through the seventeen days that went through the COVID nineteen crisis you know which I think we could call it that you know that went through that doesn't the story change if that team finds a way to succeed versus that team finds a way to make a trade that gives them a boost to succeed? Well, I mean, I think yeah, it's a, it's for the narrative of the of the season, it's cool. You know, these guys weathered this thing and they dug deep and it would really be kind of a probably the Cardinals could hold it up as a sign that their plan, that their their system is is valuable, like this depth and these prospects all kind of were thrown to the surface and they found a way to make it work. 
and they can they can certainly roll with that message. Um, is that what they're trying to prove if they do nothing at the trade line? No, I don't think so. <laughs> I think they're <laughs> I think they're just I think the the biggest benefit of circling the wagons around this team at the trade deadline is is you are you know you're protecting the risk of there being some sort of um you know new player new entry point that that could impact the season in a in a negative way related to the virus and of course there's going to be onboarding and stuff for new players um mm-hmm. and i get that they're not just going to go oh hey you're new you know jump on in but I think there could just be a, a relative pass because they're 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 the stress of what we've seen and, and the unwillingness perhaps to to add something new to the mix. Um, whether that's viewed as the card, I mean, it depends on how you're going to view it. Either you're going to view it as the Cardinals saying we're impressed with where we are, we want to keep seeing how this momentum builds and this chemistry builds. Um, it could also be viewed as the Cardinals not trying to improve the team that clearly is has shown that it's to some degrees the team we saw last year where they often struggled. Um, or we can see it as just, you know, being too focused on the virus. So they decided to, to not play ball at the deadline. Um, it's really going to be in the eye of the beholder, but I, I don't think that, you know, I, I think, I don't think that this, I just, I'll just to try to sum it up. I don't think the decisions the Cardinals will make at the trade deadline are going to be based off the competitiveness or lack thereof of this team. I, I think they're going to say, Hey, we're, we want to see what this group can do and we're going to stick with that plan. And they might make some moves that they feel like gives them some better, um, better depth and protection against the the chaos that has happened, but I don't think it'll be something that is based off of rewarding or or calling it quits on this team. That is St. Louis Post Dispatch Sports columnist Ben Fredrickson, who joins me regularly here on the best podcast in baseball. Brought to you by Closet by Design of St. Louis. Good organized by Closet by Design of St. Louis. Update your closet, garage, office, pantry, and more. Call one eight hundred by Design. That's one eight hundred B Y D E S I G N one eight hundred. By Design, Closet by Design of St. Louis, the official sponsor of the best podcast in baseball. You can find all of Ben's work and our constant Cardinals coverage at stltoday.com and in the pages of the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. There's a deal right now on subscriptions. Subscriptions to the paper also gives you subscriptions to exclusive access on the web, including the weekly Cardinals chats. Ben is has to run to host his chat, correct? Correct. Are, you, are, you, are yeah, your fingers nimble? You're gonna ask me some questions. <laughs> no, you know we used to do that. That that's something that we used to do. We used to drop in questions during the chats, you know. But they've become so crowded with readers. Why would we? You know, that's not fair. I can just ask you in person, or I can ask you when we can make a podcast out of it, and it's two birds with one stone. Exactly. <laughs> that's why you're the, the best podcast. That's why you're the post dispatch's big fundamental. Uh, am I? Am I? Am I the yeah, I can think called worse, I guess. <laughs> yeah. That, yeah. I I can see that. Um The Best Podcast in Baseball is available wherever you get your podcasts. It's available on Stitcher and a whole bunch of other places, including iTunes, where you can listen to individual episodes, download individual episodes, or subscribe. Subscriptions make the sponsorships possible, and sponsorships make the podcast possible. You can also rate and review the podcast. You can also rate and review Ben's columns at stltoday.com with comments, correct? Yes. Thumbs up, thumbs down. Yeah. Oh, yeah, or just lots of of words, either way. Or, yeah, or words, or expand on things. Yeah. you can also email Ben if you have some thoughts. Um, so Ben's available. That's that's all I'm trying to say. Call me on my cell phone, honestly. It's it's not hard to find Ben. He's on Twitter. He's uh, he does a chat. He's got. I think he wrote two columns. As as often as Paul Goldschmidt is reaching base is how often Ben Fredrickson is writing columns for the Post Dispatch. He wrote two while talking to me on this podcast. It's remarkable. So check those out at stltoday.com. And Ben also, oh, in addition to that, Ben also is on Inside Pitch with Jeff Gordon, and he co-hosts the podcast with Dave Matter about Mizzou sports. So, um, Ben, take a day off already. Overexposed. <laughs> Wait, if if so, what would that make you? The the that doesn't sound right. The biggest. I'm like uh, no, I'm like I'm like Trevor Rosenthal before the injury. Oh, are you? Okay. But I'm gonna have a glorious return after uh, after I burn out. You 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 Seth Manus, right? You're yeah, that's no, how I, 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 Trevor because he's in town this week. 
trying to stay yeah, well. He's pitching well. Yeah, he might be uh, in a new town by this time next week. So we'll uh, we'll be sure to t- cover that as we uh, as I go back on the road. Um, the Cardinals are off to Cincinnati and then back to Wrigley Field. All ten of the Cardinals games against the Cubs will be played at Wrigley Field this year. Just one more wrinkle in this weird season, um, but certainly a factor when you when you think about it. Um, you know that they'll be playing more games there, um, and the Cubs will have visited. St. Louis for a few hours, much to Chris Bryant's delight. So, Ben, uh, until next time, we'll we'll catch up. Um, we'll see what the uh, what the rosters look like after all the moves the Cardinals make and after the tread de- deadline, and we'll see where their ske- where their record is, where the standings are after they've had a chance on this homestand to take advantage of some losing teams. Thank you very much for uh, joining me, Ben. Thanks for the conversation, and we will talk to you soon. Sounds good, brother. Talk to you soon. For the best podcast in baseball and St. Louis Post Dispatch sports columnist Ben Fredrickson. I'm baseball writer Derek Gould. Talk to you soon. I think I said talk to you soon twice. That's good though. But we will talk to you soon. Literally like this today. We are talking soon right now. So I'm making good on my promise. <laughs> All right, I gotta start this chat. <laughs>